man. Let's uh, let's turn to the Lord in prayer this morning again, and just prepare our hearts for the Word of God and hearing the Word this morning. Um, may you do that as we go to the, to pray. It's not just me praying or whoever's up here praying. May you also pray as whoever is up here is praying as well. So let's go together to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come and we indeed echo what we just sang, how good it is to trust in Jesus and how sweet it is, how gracious it is that you would lead us to yourself, that you would receive in people who do not deserve you, do not deserve salvation, uh, and yet you do, and we thank you for your mercies, your uh, tremendous grace that we see in the sending of your son, Jesus Christ, the demonstration of your love, which is greater than any love that anyone could have or know ever. And so we thank you and we come, Father, we come recognizing that you are sufficient, that you are the one that we need, that all the things of earth, all the things that perhaps even rightly bring us joy as you recognize every good and perfect gift is from above and so we recognize that but we also see that those little joys are not to take the place of the greatest joy of all you oh God you are the source of everything we need of infinite joy infinite life forevermore and we need you We need you more than anything or anybody else, more than money, more than jobs, more than family, more than husband or wife or children, grandparents or whoever it is, success, reputation, houses or lands, we need you. And so help us. Father, now, even even now in our hearts, as I know it can be difficult sometimes, as we come, whatever week we came from, but even now, may our hearts, may you prepare our hearts and help us, Lord, even as you have already been doing through the songs we have been singing, may you prepare us to receive your word, Lord. And help us come believing you are the source of all we need because you are. And help us to believe your word. As we know every word is true. And so help us, Father. We pray for your grace and your spirits leading now in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are continuing... In the Gospel of John, chapter 6. So you are welcome to turn there if you have a Bible. You can do that now. 
will be in verses 41 through 59. So, growing up, you know, I loved the smell of homemade bread. You know, I remember going over to my grandma's and grandpa's house. We, you know, called uh, them Mamma and Papa. And so every so often, you know, my mamma would make homemade bread. And of course, it smelt fantastic, <laughs> you know, uh, delicious. Um, you could almost taste it. It smelt so good. Another time I had the opportunity uh, to go with my papa. Uh, he actually worked for Wonder Bread. And so I got to go to the factory where he worked. And, of course, what would you expect in going to a factory like that? Well, all variety of aromas of bread. And I would just go and take in these aromas of fresh baked bread. And it was a delight. Now, over these last few weeks, we have been taking in the aroma, not of a physical bread, like I was smelling at my mammals or, you know, smelling at the factory, but of the aroma of the bread of life, the aroma of Christ. Well, this morning, Jesus wants us to not merely kind of sit afar off, kind of taking in the aroma of the bread of life, but he wants us to come and take it in and to eat and he wants us to take part in the bread of life. Not that we would just kind of smell it, but we would actually take a part in it, take part in him, in Christ. So we continue then in this gospel with the bread of life set before us in John 6 verses 41 through 49. So may we come to eat and wholly take in God's word this morning. Let's read the word of God. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world 
is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So, so far, we have seen Jesus here in verses 22 through 40, as he has been dialoguing with the crowds and setting forth himself that he is the bread of life. And so we have seen that in this whole conversation, this dialogue between the crowds. They don't quite get him and all these things like that. Now, at some point along the way, as we move through these verses, amidst this dialogue that began in verse 25, there was a transition from kind of somewhere in Capernaum, maybe by the shore or something like that, to a synagogue in Capernaum. We aren't sure when this may have happened as these verses are going about. Some say, you know, it may have been there in verse 28. But, you know, it can be a lot of different places. But I, I think verse 41 seems like a likely place. Here we have this shift from the crowds and this kind of discussion with the crowds to now a change of wording here to the Jews. And so they heard Jesus' conversation and this whole thing. They were there as he was uh, speaking these things to the crowds and talking about himself as being the bread of life. And more specifically, they heard his assertion that he is the bread that the Father has sent from heaven. So all this, in contrast to, as we've seen over these last few weeks, to the manna or the bread that the Israelites received in the Old Testament as they were in the wilderness, that God gave them to provide for them, to give them food. So in contrast to that, Jesus comes and he sets himself forth as the new Moses, as the better bread. And now here, having heard all this, the Jews, along with all the confusion they have, along with this as well, they are certainly, again, as we have already seen in this gospel, they're not happy with what Jesus is saying. So a rising opposition begins to to grow and rise 
ever still. And here, in these first verses here, in verses 41 through 43, we see our first point. And we also see the danger, or the first point, the danger of grumbling. The danger of grumbling. So it says rather plainly that all hearing all of this, they heard everything that Jesus had said, and they grumbled. That is, they complained. They murmured. They questioned. They spoke ill of Jesus and of what he has been saying. And so they say to themselves then, well, you know what? He said he's from heaven and everything like that. But you know what? We knew his father, Joseph, and we know his mother, Mary. So, I mean, all this just seems kind of fishy that Jesus is saying these things and we know them. I mean, there's his parents or, you know, at this point, Joseph is likely no longer alive. And so there is his mother. So how can he be from heaven when he has his parents and they're right over there? So obviously, you know, they haven't read what we have read (laughs) up to this point. They have not read the prologue in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, He is indeed from heaven. And they are grumbling against him. Now I said here that we see the danger of grumbling. And here is the danger. At the heart of their grumbling is unbelief. The danger of grumbling, unbelief. So it's no coincidence that as Jesus is discussing Manna and Moses and him being the bread of life, that they grumble. Why? Well, if you know your Old Testaments, this is exactly what the Israelites did as well, right? In the wilderness, preceding the manna. (laughs) What did they say? And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Exodus 16, 2-3. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. And so God graciously, kindly gives them the manna as incredible as that is, manna or bread from heaven for them, to provide for them. Yet, we also see, once they have it in their hands, and they've been eating it for a time, what do they do again? They grumble again in Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. They're tired of the manna. Give us meat they say. And now, and no surprise, 
unbelieving Israelites there in the wilderness in Exodus and in Numbers, now unbelieving Israelites before Jesus. They grumble at Jesus. And they grumble because as they did in the wilderness, they are doing again before the bread of life. So let me say, and this is important, grumbling is not good. I know that may be obvious, but my, how we grumble. There is not one positive example in Scripture of grumbling. It's bad. It's not good and it does no good. Instead, what we have in Scripture, again and again, we have exhortations to do what? To not grumble. Again and again. Grumbling, it defies God's provision. It defies God's Word, it defies God's sovereignty, and it defies His sovereign plans and purposes over all things. As though perhaps He doesn't know what He's doing. And if you could, you know, I wonder how many of us would raise our hand to tell how grumbling has specifically blessed you and others over the years. Right. You know, it, it doesn't do that. It never kind of goes that direction, does it? It's, it's always a thorn in the side for you and for other people as well. It's not any good. It's like water to paper. It does paper no good, right? I mean, water on it spreads and just ruins the whole thing. There's a story of a man who was known for grumbling every time that he you know, would sit down to eat with his family. And so you know, nearly every time they sat down, you know, he would grumble over the dinner that his wife had labored and made. And, you know, and here it is. And, and so he would, man's food just stinks. It's terrible, you know. And he, he, would, he would complain about it. Well, this is not, it's not enough salt, you know, or whatever, you know. And it's just not hot enough. Or it's always something that he grumbled about every time he comes and sits down at the table. Well, as was their habit as well. Following all of this grumbling he would do, he would pray and he would bless the food. And then they would eat their food as well. Well, one day after all of this, same thing, you know, he's grumbling over the food. You know, this is just not what it should be, you know. His little girl had a question she wanted to ask him, you know, very innocently. Daddy, does God hear us when we pray? And so, ah, you know, the father thought, my spiritual influence has had an impact on my family. This is, this is great. She's seeing pieces connect. And so he said... Why, yes, God certainly does hear us when we pray. And so she followed it with another question. Okay, well, um, does that mean that he also hears us when we're not praying as well? And so, you know, dad answers, still happy that she's 
talking about these things. Oh, yeah, God knows all we say and do. He sees and he hears everything. He hears it all. So at this, you know, the daughter, she innocently asks, you know, her daddy. And she says, then, then which one does God believe? You know, so is it the, the grumbling side of things? Or is it the prayer that you're blessing this food that you have totally just said you don't, you're not thankful for? You just dis- dismissed it and complained, totally just throwing it aside. So I'm afraid that many of us forget that God does indeed hear us. And he knows our hearts and he knows our words and he knows our unbelief. And Jesus was not unaware of their unbelief here either. If we are grumbling or grumblers, God, he is calling us away from grumbling towards the hope for the grumbler, faith. Faith. We've seen this again and again from Jesus, haven't we? Believe, believe, believe again and again in the Gospel of John. In verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And even in the face of their grumbling, what does he say in verse 47? Yes, they're grumbling, but he still wants them. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And let me just say, what freedom there is in believing. What freedom there is. What what weights come off in trusting Christ at his word. As the hymn goes, and I stand on every promise of your word Grace sufficient, grace for me, grace for all who will believe. We will stand on every promise of your word. You know, I remember, and especially trying time in our lives, you know, Megan and I, and, you know, many things, they were just up in the air. You may have had that time in your life as well. You just don't know what's coming around the corner next. You know, questions hovered over our future, you know, how will we continue, you know, what will the future hold, what's going to happen next, I just remember, you know, being tempted to grumble, but I remember also, you know, praying one morning, and the Lord impressed upon me, trust me, (laughs) believe me. Trust me. And the weights, what happened? They came off. I believed and I trusted he would take care of us. And you know what? He did and he still is taking care of us as well. God is good to us and has been good to us yet still. And perhaps... You know, that's you. Perhaps you've been here and and you've been the grumbler. Maybe you're you're kind of coming alongside the Jews here in in your life and you have 
been grumbling at this and this, and maybe it's, you know, COVID-19. Maybe it's this whole year. Or maybe it's something else. But friends, just consider, how has grumbling helped you? What good has it done? And I can tell you what it's done. It has done you no good. (laughs) And it has only added to your shame, to your guilt, to your anger, to your distrust, to your unbelief. And now, God, he is calling you to cease grumbling and do what will free you and trust him. Yes, you may have a million questions, but the better thing is always to trust him. And we move then from the grumblings here of the Jews to contrast, to a contrast between the grumbler and those who believe. Those who believe. So we see this in verses 43 through 47. So Jesus directly corrects them. Don't grumble. It isn't any good. And he contrasts here unbeliever unbelief with what believing believers look like. So the Jews, they would not believe and they were acting like, they were not acting like Believers, Indeed, they were deep in the bonds of unbelief. And so Jesus, he makes clear that those who believe, who will believe, and who do believe, they are drawn by the Father. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In other words, as they are putting the foot down, putting kind of a stake in the ground in their unbelief, Jesus makes clear that their spiritual blindness is not overcome by human means. Unless the Father savingly draws or attracts and woos someone to Christ, no one can come to Christ. Now, I realize that verse is controversial, but we must not turn our eyes away from these kind of verses. They're the Word of God. We must take on a demeanor of letting Scripture say what Scripture says. Let it provide the stamp over our beliefs. Jesus is not saying here God draws everyone and some of those he draws will come. But he's saying those whom he draws will certainly come and they will want to come. So, like I said, this is not a passage we want to avoid because this is a theme that John kind of interlaces throughout the whole of the Gospel of John. It would be wrong as a person studying the Bible or 
seeking to understand it more, to avoid it. And so we've already seen it again and again. Spiritually dead men and women can do just that. What? They can do what? They can remain dead. (laughs) God must be the decisive one to bring life to the spiritually dead. And so we have seen already in the Gospel of John. And we will see again as we continue as what we've seen so far, John 1, 12-13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Echoes this passage here, John six forty four. John 3, 3. Jesus answered Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born from above, is what that passage is saying. John 6, 29, Jesus says, This is the work of God, colon, that you believe in him whom he has sent. John 6, or 6, 37 through 39, we saw these verses last week. And Jesus is kind of bringing all this to bear, and he will again even next week, so... We're not going to come away from this without seeing it again next week because Jesus wants to say it again in our next verses. But he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And this is gracious. Verse 44 is gracious. <laughs> it's, what we're seeing is the love of God on display and not the reverse. This is a wonderful drawing. It's His kindness. It's His mercy that He would life-givingly draw people to Himself. And so we read a verse like that and it isn't to say, you know grumble, it is to say, praise God, that he would, he would draw anyone to himself. I don't deserve that, do you? And so we praise him in seeing verses like this. And so that's one part of kind of this kind of transition. You're not believing. This is your unbelief. But this is what believers look like. And so also we see that those who are His, who will believe and do believe, they listen to God. They listen to God. And so Jesus, He cites here Isaiah fifty four thirteen and verse 45, and they will all be taught by God to say that those who are drawn, they listen they believe. Every, verse 45, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, verse 45. And as Jesus, he will say later as well in John 10, not there yet, we'll get there. Those who are his sheep do what? They will hear his voice and they follow him. That's 1027. 
So if you know Christ this morning, you will listen to him. You will listen to his word. If your thoughts and your attitudes and your heart and your life look more like the Jews and their unbelief, you need to do a serious inventory of yourself. Do you really know Christ? Have you really actually believed Him? Yet, we saw this already, but I just want us to wonder at this, even in the midst of their grumbling, and these truths, the very things they're not doing, they're not believing anything Jesus is saying, in the midst of their grumbling in these truths, we see here the persistent plea, belief. Even after saying all of that, Jesus says in verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. So he's declaring and he's calling them, believe in me. Believe in me is that belief in me is the only evidence that the Father has drawn you, so believe. God's good and gracious sovereignty over salvation and preach the gospel to everybody. And we have a deficient gospel if we say otherwise. And so if you are the grumbler, the unbeliever, the one severed and separated from God, hear the words of Jesus this morning. The gracious and merciful and kind words of Jesus this morning. Believe and you will be saved. And you know what? The grace of God is available to one and to all. So come. And you, all those chains we spoke of before, the burdens of grumbling. I know we as believers can grumble too. If you're on the side of the Jews and unbelief, you do not know Jesus. Jesus will free you this morning and give you life as you take part and take in and and eat the bread of life. And may you do that if you don't know Christ this morning. May you trust in Him. And He won't just kind of save you. He will totally save you. And He will not lose one. And so this brings us then to the rest of our verses here. Verses 48 through 59 and what believing looks like. What believing looks like. So it looks like this. It looks like union with Christ. Union with Christ. So you may have smelled the aroma this morning. It has filled your lungs Jesus is the living bread that came down from heaven. Now you are to take part in the bread itself. And this union with Christ, it comes through his sacrifice. It comes through his sacrifice. So how do we, where do we see that here, his sacrifice, what we do? So during the Passover, God as you would expect, he passed over the Israelites and death 
passed by the Israelites. Judgment passed by the Israelites as God saw the blood of the Lamb over their doors. And at this death, the judgment passed by. And as it passed, they ate. And what did they eat? Unleavened bread. So we have a number of things that John is doing here. A number of themes he's bringing together here with Jesus' words. Verse 51. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. It would be the spilling of his blood that would mean our redemption. Eternal death and judgment would pass over us through the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood on our behalf. That's why John earlier, Behold the Lamb of God. Incredible how God brings all this together and all these themes from throughout his word over all these thousands of years to say this amazing, incredible point, the salvation of sinners like us. And it would be through his flesh and blood that we may have union with God. And as the Jews, they disputed over Jesus' words. He doesn't, he doesn't kind of pull back and kind of relinquish his words and say, well, yeah, that was kind of far. I'm sorry about that. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. But he, he lifts them up. He amplifies. And he expounds upon them all the more. You must eat my flesh and drink my blood And you won't do it once. My flesh and blood will be yours to take part in forever. The bread of life. Now this obviously sounds strange to us. Maybe you've read this passage many times, but maybe even as I read it, you're like, that sounds kind of strange saying it that way. You know, during the early church, this was so strange that some accuse Christians of being cannibals because of this passage. They eat flesh and drink blood. But this isn't what Jesus is saying. He isn't talking about cannibalism or even the Lord's Supper. But he's saying union with him must come in wholly taking in, wholly receiving and believing and treasuring Christ for yourself Take him in completely. It's insufficient to merely see this bread. It's insufficient to merely believe in this bread. It's insufficient to mistakenly only know a great deal about this bread. This bread must be consumed. And I think this is where many people are, right there, they're on the outside, looking in, and, and they, they circle around the table. They have looked at it. They even perhaps admire the bread. Look at that bread. It looks great. 
but they have never had it for themselves. You know, when my family and I, we are sitting at the dinner table, you know, we all just sit there and admire the food. You know, we don't eat it. We just look at it. No. <laughs> Is that what we do? Of course not. That's ridiculous. We don't do that, especially since Megan's food is delicious. We take part in the food. We don't just look at it. We eat it. We eat the food that was prepared for us and take it in and make it part of ourselves. And so, you also feed on Jesus and live. Believing and knowing Jesus is taking his whole life for yourself that his whole life will become part of your life as well. He is yours, and you are his forever. I remember when I came to Christ, you know, years ago, how before I was a believer, you know, I had wore a cross around my neck, and I had heard about Jesus, and I had kind of seen Christianity from a distance, and I really had no idea who Jesus was. I didn't even know he was both God and man and all these things. I didn't even know why he was on, died on the cross and all these things. But I had a cross around my neck. I had been to church a few times. I hadn't eaten. I had not taken part in Christ. But now I have. I gave myself what holy to him. This life is his. He is mine and he will never let me go. So also, Jesus is calling us not to be kind of a halfway Christians. He isn't calling for your admiration and distant wonder, but he is saying to you, take up and eat and drink And never stop. That means the rest of your life, above work, above family, above dreams, and all these other things, husband, wife, children, whatever it is, Jesus is everything to you. And you take him in, and he is yours, and you are his. And as you take him in, and he He shapes you and conforms you to be more like him as well. Just like food does and changes us as well, right? So, brothers and sisters, if there's anyone lost, doesn't know Christ this morning, has not taken part, has not eaten this bread, one and all take up and eat and drink and the bread of life. Eat his body and eat his flesh. So let's do just that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your body being broken for us and your blood being spilled for us. That we aren't just to be simply uh, those outside looking in, 
or as believers thinking that, you know, well, you know, Jesus is kind of a side note in my life, you know, isn't really the whole thing for me. I'm a Christian, sure, but, I, you know, other things matter more. My house matters more. My family matters more. My car matters more. My food matters more. And Lord, you're calling us this morning to say that Jesus is to be all to us. Every thing that would and does vie for that place is to be pushed or moved aside for Christ to take the center place, our central life and hope and joy and treasure and the one we're living for. So help us, Lord, as your church, that we would do this, Lord. We would do it at home. We would do it at work. We would do it on this, as we go to the grocery store. We would do it in our cars. We would do it everywhere. Because we always need you, Jesus, and we can do nothing apart from you. We love you. We want more of you. We thank you for redeeming sinners like us wholly and completely and fully through your finished work on the cross, through faith in you. And Father, we pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you this morning, or tuning in, that you may convict them, Lord. You may show them they are lost. They are separated from you, God. They don't know you. They have not been living for you. They haven't been living for the one that made them for you. So may you help them, Father, even now and and lead them to yourself and help them to see the glory of this gospel and the glory of Jesus and that they would put their faith and trust in Christ. We ask, Father, that as we sing the song that you would help us, each of us, respond to your word. Help us not to be spectators, but to take it up and eat and let it get into our lives. We look to you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.